Hello and welcome to a new episode of Korea Startup Podcast. Today we are with Jihon Lee, CEO of Piki. Piki has two different business lines. It started as a skincare community platform and later on it opened a new service called Piki for Creators, which enables brands to hire content creators at a scale with minimal cost and maximum efficiency. Piki is based in Seoul and is composed of an international team, being English, the company's internal language. This diversity of nationalities was motivated by Jihon's goal to create a company with great potential for growth and expansion. In this episode, Jihon explains how he managed to create a community on Instagram for skincare in a really short period of time, and how that community served and continues to serve as a driving force for his business. He will also talk about the needs and goals of brands and influencers when working together and the different evolutionary stages of Piki, also in times of pandemic. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Korea Startup Podcast. I'm your new host, Phoenix, and today we have with us, Sebas. Hello, Phoenix. Happy to have you here. And also we have Piki Jiong Lee. Nice to meet you, Jiong. Hi. Uh, nice to meet you, Phoenix and Sebastian. So um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, what have you studied? Oh, yeah. Um, I am Korean. I'm Korean-Korean. I mm. grew up in Korea the entire time. I'm originally from Busan. And um, I studied uh, business in Seoul National University. And uh, fortunately, I learned English uh, when I was 10. I lived in the U.S. for like one year with my parents. So, yeah, I was super lucky to yeah, have that experience. And what did you study business? Yeah, so in Korea, there is just a general business kind of undergrad major, unlike uh, the U.S. So my undergrad major was business administration. And at that point, you were focusing more like your vision was more entering the corporate world or more in the startup world? Mm, yeah, I don't think I really had any vision. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Korean students uh, have a lot of fun when they're, especially before going to the army. So, um, yeah, my story is uh, I started university in 2003 and, um, yeah, two years of partying. <laughs> and then I went to army for, uh, I went to the Air Force. So it was very long. It was uh, 27 months, actually. Yeah, and I was the um, English like interpreter, and I barely did any translation. But that was this was the job supposed to be. Um, and um, yeah, after military, I came back to university. You know, just studied hard to yeah because um, you need to make up for all this. You know, for two years of doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I actually yeah traveled um, Spain. Right after actually finishing the army, that was my first trip abroad. Yeah, yeah. What did you choose to spend? Um, you know, there was back in the day in the I guess two thousand something. It was really like a trend for Korean university students to go to Europe and then do like uh, Euro Eurail backpacking type of thing. Yeah. I didn't have a chance to do that before the military. So, um, yeah, I thought, okay, so I finished army and then, yeah, let's go abroad and have some experience actually. And um, why did I go to Spain? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. What did you do there? So, 
technically I didn't go only to Spain, but I went to Madrid and I went to, yeah, I was supposed to go to Granada, Sevilla and Andalusia and then also Barcelona. But yeah, my friend lost his bag in Malaga. <laughs> so I still haven't been to um, Granada actually and Alhambra. So that's kind of sad. But anyway, yeah, I had a yeah really good time in Spain and I actually ended up learning some Spanish after that. Yeah, from university actually. And when did your career started? When did you, what did you start to work on? Yeah, so there's a little bit of story in between. So I went from, you know, came back from Europe and then I came to back to university. And of course it's been two years left. So, you know, started hard and then tried to figure out my career. And I wanted to be a TV producer. I was really into content. And, but also I really liked, um, you know, doing something international because obviously I was good at English. And I also uh, met a lot of the international like uh, students in the university. Yeah. And um, yeah, I kind of felt like I need to something international. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe I should have done become a TV producer because, you know, Korean TV shows yeah, are so on Netflix and going global, everything. But it was like uh, 2009. And then I think the TV stations was going also, you know, becoming very difficult. Mm -hmm. So they stopped hiring. And then it's really hard to compare to become a TV producer. And you need to be very good at writing. Yeah, so I failed uh, one of the exams at the NBC, the TV station. And um, yeah, instead, actually, I decided to join Neighbor, which is the internet content. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was um, interested in more like, a, you know, they had a Neighbor had the biggest like blog platform. And they, unlike Google, Neighbor is a search engine, but they also have like a Yahoo type of like business is a portal content. So Neighbor News is the biggest like medium in Korea. So yeah, that was my first job. I joined Neighbor after graduating. And what did you do with Neighbor? Um, so this is a Korean actually companies have an interesting system that, well, nowadays I think it's changing, but you just enter as a like a new grad, like it's not like they hire for a specific position. They will hire like one batch, like, okay, so this year we're gonna hire 10 business people, we're going to hire like 20 engineers, like 10 designers. And then after that, they will assign you to a certain department, actually. Mm. So I joined Neighbor as a, like a business, yeah, like general, yeah, like person. So we would either become like, you know, I mean, we can go to any department, right? Like finance, operations, like, yeah, like product management or anything. Um, so I was with eight, I think eight of my yeah we call it like class i guess mm -hmm. yeah in korea you get call it like tongi so um and i ended up joining uh customer support sort of um project yeah and and yeah managing those kind of department actually mm -hmm. and when and why did you start your entrepreneurial career Oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's much later, of course. And um, so, yeah, fast forward, um, I quit Neighbor after six months, but yeah, it was like really boring to work on the customer support like product. I, yeah, thought like, yeah, yeah, this was like, yeah, something really, really uninteresting. Um, so I quit and then um, luckily um, I joined Google Korea as like part-time and not part-time, more like contract. 
yeah, employee. And then, um, yeah, I ended up actually working at Google Korea. And then I went to um, Google US after that, like uh, working on the more like business development side of the like a function. And uh, yeah, I actually left Google in 2012 um, because, um, yeah, it was very interesting because at Google, um, it really felt like uh, all the young and like, you know, hardworking, most interesting people in San Francisco, they were working at startups actually. And this was 2012. So I went to WeWork in 2012 in San Francisco and I was so shocked actually. Yeah, because in the US it's like uh, even Google headquarter is kind of old company. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of there's nobody at the office after like, you know, 5 p.m. and like and um I didn't know what to do. Like I came to the US by myself and then yeah, it's like 5 p.m. I went home and then what do I do? Yeah, what do I do? Like I watch Netflix and then uh, it's kind of like yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then yeah, when I had a chance to go to yeah, we work in San Francisco and then like full of energy, like so many people there. So yeah, and at the same time, uh, a good friend of mine, um, my college friend, he had this advertising business and in Korea, he's a serial entrepreneur and then he wanted to uh, go global at that time. So um, I decided to join his company and then open up the US branch in San Francisco at that time, actually. Mm -hmm. So that was my first journey being like, uh, yeah, in the startup world, I guess. Yeah, leaving the, you know, comfortable Google. <laughs> you have really like, impressive background. Like, Sonia Snow University, like the top one, and then Naver, <laughs> and then Google, like. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it was like, yeah, worked, think... worked, worked hard. <laughs> Forgetting about the three years party now in the university. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And what was the company of your friend about? Yeah, so it's called Buzzville. It's around. You can look it up, and um, it's a reward advertising company. So it's more like affiliate marketing type of model. Mm -hmm. So um, they were working on this app. Um, you could turn your Android uh, lock screen into like advertising, sort of yeah, like a medium. So you would earn cash by um, putting up um, yeah like trading your lock screen for like at blank space. And um, yeah, we did actually end up launching the US business, but didn't work out. So I opened up the US entity and I closed it actually kind of mm -hmm. myself. Uh -huh. So yeah, but it was only like one year journey for me actually, because um, yeah, a lot of things happened. It was, you know, hard to really like uh, difficult, right? It didn't work out and stuff. So um, yeah, after that, I actually joined um, Korean uh, office of Supercell, which is the mobile game company. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So interesting. So many different things. And where, when does Peaky appear in your life? So it's, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm not like a very young founder, I guess. Yeah. So um, I, for personal reason, like, uh, yeah, I got married at that time. My son was born in 2014. So I didn't feel like I could really start the company like at that time, like I had, you know, like a lot of personal commitment. So I worked four years at Supercell and in 2018, I finally thought I'm ready to, yeah, become an entrepreneur. So that's uh, when I founded, not Piki, uh, the, it was a previous name called Jibaka Care. So that was my like, uh, yeah, first company actually. 
And why a skin skincare product? Like why? Oh, so Jivaka was not skincare ah. technically. So um, personally, uh, my biggest motivation. Um, so I have to start from the my life in the U.S. actually, and why I also left Google and then joined my friend's company is that um, you know um, I'm Korean. Korean, I emphasize that, and I'm from Korea. But then um, when I went to the US, Silicon Valley, I had this very odd thinking because a lot of people think that San Francisco is dream, right? Mm -hmm. This is where everything happens. Mm -hmm. But I had a very different feeling and that I really didn't think that it was that great. And because I thought the city in, as a city, Seoul was much more interesting. It's like but safe, you... it's like affordable, it's actually like, um, I mean, bigger. Yeah, it's more convenient. Um, and um, I mean, food is better. <laughs> a, lot of, yeah, a lot of things actually. I mean, San Francisco is beautiful, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> if you live there, I think, yeah, I thought like Seoul was like a better place. So I, you know, I kind of missed Seoul a lot at that time. But then why is what's better in san francisco is that well seoul doesn't really have google mm -hmm. there's no airbnb in seoul there's no uber in seoul like i went to neighbor i worked at google and then well yeah there are a lot more yeah better things we can yeah google at google so i really thought like san francisco has better companies basically and us has all the best companies are in silicon valley actually mm -hmm. which is true so that's when I thought actually, okay, so yeah, maybe Seoul is a better, could be a better city, but if you cannot host really great companies, you're because the having a really this great workplace is such a big part of the, yeah, being a best city. I think it's very important that you need, someone needs to do this actually, found great companies in Seoul. Mm -hmm. So that's was kind of my personal sort of mission. And then I still have been thinking about this every yeah, single day since like 2012. Yeah, and I wanna do it myself, but if not someone really, I hope uh, more talented entrepreneurs in Korea, I think they should do that. And that's what I'm actually really um, passionate about actually. Could you say now one example of a company that has achieved it? Uh, I think, I think, yeah, um, for example, and one of the condition was that because also, you know, Korea is a, it's not a like huge country. We're not the U.S., right? So I think just inevitably in this sort of world in now, the best companies, it needs to be global companies, like, mm -hmm. right? And I, I think Spain, the biggest company, I, I, as far as I know, is Zara, actually. And then look at Zara, it's global, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, everyone loves Zara internationally. And um, yeah, it started from small town in Galicia. It's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's really amazing. And in Korea, it's the same. Biggest company, Samsung. Yeah. Second biggest Hyundai. Yeah. But more talking about the startups because Samsung and Hyundai are really- Right, like right, right. So that's, yeah, exactly what I'm getting at too. So now in Korea, we're, we didn't have that kind of startup, right? Until mm -hmm. now. And um, I think um, I really look up to, I guess, um, HyperConnect. Mm -hmm. HyperConnect uh, founder um, is also from my university, and then he they made like a really like global app, right? Like, and then this was done in the two thousands. I mean, like in the after some, I think twelve and so. 
So I think, yeah, they had a really international footprint and got acquired by, I think, the Tinder's parent company recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh. so I think that's a big success. And also a lot of the gaming world, there are a lot of companies who has been established this, um, yeah, like Nexon and not well, NCSoft, I guess it's mostly Korean, but a lot of the yeah gaming industry has global footprint. Yeah, I mean, all the K-pop companies also, they're global companies, right? Mm -hmm. Is it is it Riot Games from Korea or not? No, Riot no. Games is American. Yes. American yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you know, like the main picture of Riot Games is League of Legends and you always see that Koreans are the best ones of us. <laughs> so I was thinking maybe it's from Korea. <laughs> okay, so you think I want to make like a huge company and you thought about this this company, what was the name? Your the first startup that you founded. Oh yeah, Jibaka Care, yeah. And yeah. what was it about? Yeah, so my thing was not only like size, but um, I thought my, what I was more into is that um, um, I really thought it needs to be global from the beginning, mm -hmm. which is actually not restricted to just the Korean market. Mm -hmm. So I think um, one of the thing happens in Korea is that um, um, we are not a huge market, but it's not small, you know. It's pretty big, right? Compared to like, I guess it could be bigger than Spain in a way that, yeah, uh, just domestic market. So a lot of software is built in Korean, actually. So there's a Slack in Korean, which is yeah. like Chandi, actually. There's, um, I don't know, like every version of a lot of software company yeah. in Korean, right? There's an email company in Korean, actually. Uh, like the WhatsApp, Kakao. Yeah, yeah, all this stuff, apps, actually. Right, right. But technically, to where well, let's say let's say the your goal is to become a unicorn or yeah and but if you just make the company korean there's only few categories you can be so successful which is yeah korean version of whatsapp is still pretty big company actually, yeah. right korean version of google became neighbor so it's pretty good actually but then let's say you make an email software in korean i don't think so yeah. yeah, I think the only way is like diversifying your business and doing everything. Yes, and that's what uh, all the big Korean tech companies end up doing, right? So, but I think that's kind of to, yeah, it only fosters certain type of companies. So what I want to do is more like a niche area, but have a global footprint. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I was thinking more about, so what can we start in Seoul, but what are the kind of the topics that we can actually have appeal to global market? Yeah, but still, you know, be headquartered in Korea actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I looked at more of like uh, industries, which we have advantage. And the first uh, project I thought was healthcare mm -hmm. because the Korean healthcare, I don't know, yeah, you have experience or not, but it's actually one of the, best quality in the world and then it's quite actually affordable it's super affordable yeah the dentist is super affordable. yes 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 yeah exactly so you should actually do all your dental stuff before you leave actually and planning to <laughs> yeah yeah but then um i think also the problem was that um there's not much information in like english mm -hmm. so my first project the Chivaka, was that uh, we launched this uh, service that we would actually help international customers or patients to find the right clinics in Korea, actually. I need it. Yes, I need it. So. I, yeah, that 
yeah, you can actually, uh, yeah, I can refer you to my previous company. It's not, yeah, I sold the service, but it's still in operation. So please refer. Yeah, me. yes, of course. Yeah. So yeah, that, uh, I mean, yeah, it went, yeah, it was not like super successful, but it was decently, you know, going. But again, 2020, what happens? Mm. COVID. COVID. Yeah. So yeah, it was really... I mean, I guess, yeah, some of the more brave founders just keep pushing and stuff, but I guess I was not the one of them. So, yeah, I, had, I need to make a choice, right? Like, uh, do we, this model is based on actually international travelers, but we don't have international travelers, then <laughs> there's no customer, basically. Well, yeah, we could have done like telemedicine and those other stuff, but I don't, I really didn't really have a strong idea like how that is possible because we, our model was actually very much like yeah getting the people into the clinic and then we also yeah um collaborate with these clinics out of that customers you know like uh, fee and stuff so yeah we basically had to pivot and we looked at other areas what can we do so it's not healthcare so and then it needs to be online and then no one's coming so what can we do and at that time, we already had like more of less international team. And then, um, yeah, so we still have this kind of um, focus. So, yeah, secondly, I think was beauty was that like uh, category. Mm -hmm. Because um, even when we were working on healthcare, a lot of um, our focus was on beauty um, area because majority of patients come to Korea are very focused on like, uh, you know, beauty procedures and then, uh, yeah, cosmetic like medicine. So we naturally saw a lot of our customers were really looking for Korean cosmetics and there's huge like need and then did a lot of research and, you know, like Korean uh, beauty industry is huge. And then actually like those beauty companies, 80% of the market is export actually. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so yeah, we wanted to connect like customers and then the, around the world and then the Korean like brands. So that was, yeah, we can do that like pretty well. So that's how we decided to start Picky actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is the idea that you had at the beginning similar or the same as the one that you have right now or did it pivot? Um, I think, well, it's, I would say it just keeps evolving, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, it was born as more like a COVID like situation. So it was like, let's try something. And then, you know, I mean, yeah, we just did whatever we thought it would make sense at that time. So we started more of as a community and also media. So uh, the biggest success we had in the first year in 2020 was that uh, we managed to start an Instagram account from scratch. And then we were providing like a skincare information. And um, I mean, yeah, me and uh, our marketing yeah, person, a team member, we just started this like Instagram account. And we ended up growing it to almost like 100K within like a year, actually. Wow. Yeah, from just uh, really from nothing. And then we didn't really have marketing budget. So yeah, we just um, yeah had an idea, did research. And then, yeah, we did some experiments. And then, yeah. So that was what made Picky also our app also acquire a lot of users just from that like Instagram content actually. Mm -hmm. From your perspective, like what makes Korean beauty products so like appealing to the world? I mean, we didn't make it appealing to the world, but it's just that 
I think it's just that uh, it's not that Korean beauty is more interesting. I think, well, like a skincare product is the same around the world, right? You try to use skincare product because you want to buy the best product, actually, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's just that in Korea, the competition is really strong. So a lot of Korean companies became really good at like uh, making high quality skincare products. Let's say in Spain, there's not much competition. So Spanish skincare companies, they can make the product at like 80% quality, it still sells. Mm -hmm. In Korea, it's like you need to make it 120% quality. But then now the, the whole world is connected. So it's not very difficult to find out, oh, there's a better product in other countries. So people start bringing in that other stuff, right? So yeah, I think it's simple as that actually. So um, yeah, like for example, like cheese in Europe is good and then cheese in Korea is actually, it's pretty bad, I think. Yeah. It's super expensive. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So probably you shouldn't eat cheese here because it doesn't make sense actually. Um, so yeah, I, I look at it more like that, that kind of like, um, yeah, like, yeah, perspective. So it's just, yeah, it's just more competitive market. So it just went uh, abroad and then it's a better product actually. And do you think this internal competition that Korea has is what made it that grow that fast from like 50 years ago? Do you think that's the key of its growth? Yeah, so I think just naturally, I think there's perspective about just Asia, right? There's like very dense population. Yeah, and then people are working hard to, you know, achieve more stuff. And then especially I think uh, what's different from like Europe is that um, or the U.S. like there's more like immigration, each other like um, happening. And then, for example, I think uh, in Korea, you're like it's a small market, but there's so many like people trying to compete with the same thing. I mean, I think you're. Phoenix or from Vietnam, so yeah. you can relate like it's similar. That I think that just makes that yeah competition really strong, and then yeah, that's what happens actually in many industries. Yeah, yeah. Like I read one of your blog, and you said like when people uh, want to buy a beauty product, like fifty no, I think fifty percent of them choose because it's made from Korea, and it's mm. really impressive for me. Because also like when I came to Korea, most of my friends texted me to tell me to buy some beauty product for them. Mm, mm, so yeah, mm. like. This country is so small, but look uh -huh. at the issue is really. But I think that part of beauty is also like it's influenced by the, the idols. Yeah, idols and then like K pop and the culture, Korean celebrities as well. And then that's also why I think the, you know, actually, I think Spanish wine is better than French, but. Excellent. Yeah, the, yeah, is, yeah, like, yeah, who has but, a doubt on this? yeah, look at the French marketing, you know, they <laughs> have, you know, all the designer fashion luxury brands like French yeah. are the masters of doing that. And then it's really from more like a cultural, yeah, background. And then, I mean, just French are really good at that. And then I think among the Asian countries, <laughs> I think Korea is actually quite ahead of, yeah, other, yeah, countries right now, mm -hmm. right now it changes, but. Japan used to be that kind of icon, yeah. but now it's us. And then, yeah, I think it's coming from all this media industry, actually. Yeah. Okay, so you make this Instagram and then you see, oh, there is an interest here. Let's do an app. When did you launch that app and how, what were the features of that app at the moment? Yeah, so the app was released in 2020, yeah, April. 
and then it was very basic feature it was more like uh we made the ingredient information like public so we scraped kind of list of uh, ingredients and the product information of 10,000 products and then we made a like be able to search for ingredients and then were also you scrapping that information or doing it manually uh we were doing like both actually so we had to scrape some of the information and then also we did like manually and then we also have this feature that users can request oh i need like uh the ingredient yeah analysis of this product so yeah so that we updated like uh, regularly actually so that's was our first yeah like uh, project mm -hmm. and i don't remember if we had a review feature at that time probably not the first one there was no like ugc but review feature was the next big update and then the next one was more like community in the app so people can talk about like just free board so right now i think the community and reviews is the biggest kind of feature and the product database is kind of like the of course that's like uh, always like um, from the yeah like basic functionality of the app and this evolution of the features were driven by your intuition of what could work and what couldn't or was more driven for like the necessities that you saw that your customer had um i think it's both because i mean i don't think like uh, founder or the team just um building feature from intuition i don't think that's the uh, like most yeah the proper way to build like a product so i think i really followed the more like uh you know the lean startup method and then you launch mvp and then you see how it goes and then it'll be kind of obvious what the users are doing and then yeah so it, i think it was a no-brainer that um, we yeah people wanted to talk in the app so we built like uh, you know the board and then also before that the reviews were highly sought like features so yeah but also, I think it's also important to benchmark the existing business model. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is beauty vertical, but this kind of product exists in other verticals too. So that's another like a benchmark should we have. Mm -hmm. And how did you get money out of all of this? Uh, so yeah, we raised um, our seed round. Um, so I had an investment from the, my previous company, like the project, Jivaka. But yeah, that fund got depleted uh, in 2020. But because Piki had um, some traction in 2020, we were able to raise uh, in January 2021, actually. How much? Uh, that was 1.3 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good, yeah. good, good. Yeah. And then uh, I see that you are working now on another feature that goes a little bit different from the right, main right, core. Right. Can you tell us about it? Because I Yeah, so that was why I was actually... I so I, I it's hard for me sometimes at this time because we we're kind of in the midst of I mean, we have our own like picky community we call it community in the in internally yeah that it was our main thing but we are kind of evolving again like we're we call it like uh, expansion mm -hmm. so we launched a product called picky for creators actually so yeah our community you know got pretty like um, sizable but also um we were like kind of facing the situation so skincare category like, we felt like we kind of um saturated mm -hmm. that like audience so we are actually yeah we have a very sustainable community and then we have a great relationship with our skincare company but also as a company we're always you know aiming for like the next sort of you know growth engine and then 
yeah, that was like the, the most important thing in this year. Like, what do we do? And then also, you know, the whole startup ecosystem is changed actually. So I think the community business is one of the most difficult model to yeah. keep being sustainable, right? Like Absolutely. it costs like so much to, yeah, get the user acquisition and then keep growing. And then, I mean, if you become too much like business focused, mm -hmm. the users don't like it. So yeah, that was like a big headache actually. Mm -hmm. And um, what we realized is that, so one of our business model for the community was that um, we were working with um, brands and the, the brands would actually send um, our users uh, their products for free. Um, and then our users would actually leave a review in return. And that's called like, um, I don't know in English, how do you call it exactly? But in Korea, you call it Cheomdan, which is like, um, how can I say? Uh, panels? Yeah, product panels or something. Yeah. So, and then um, that has been very like uh, biggest revenue source for us. And they paid you a fixed fixed amount. Yeah, yeah, we sell it at a fixed amount. Like it's more like a program. So we do it like weekly, actually. Okay. Yeah. So this week we collaborate with this brand, five hundred winners. Yeah. So a lot of the like the magazines used to do that actually, like the beauty magazines or yeah, because like when you buy a beauty magazine, I don't know you have you ever bought a beauty magazine? No, much? not really. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. And you would have like some free gift actually. <laughs> But technically, that's more for, I guess, like uh, it's marketing because when you're like a new product, you need some early testers or I don't know, like early customers. So, yeah, you would give it out actually. So they need also have audience. So our audience are perfect match because our audience are very enthusiastic, like, uh, you know, people. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we've been doing that with a lot of brands. And then also we realized, oh, like even we, if we do that, like a lot of brands were doing that themselves, like sending these kind of products to um, influencers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like on Instagram and like YouTube and stuff, right? TikTok as well. So yeah, we also realized out of our like, you know, like, you know, we peaked at like, we had um, around um, 400K like users registered and then- um, How many active users? About like 50,000 were active and it, 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 yeah. That's a fair amount. Yeah. And then um, like a lot of them. So I think I would say a few thousands of them have been kind of like influencer. And then now we also learned the term like micro influencer, which is not like huge influencer. Like, I mean, like how do you define it? Maybe like 100,000 followers that you are able to kind of be considered as influencer. So you get paid for, you know, content. But then there are micro influencers under that, but they're kind of like, amateur creators yeah and they want to be creators some some people are like part-time like some people are like full-time but they're not there yet but not everyone really wants to become a full-time creator it really depends but anyway yeah there were like these people and then um we also realized a lot of brands want to work with them not just giving the product but also paying for the content and then we found like we can be a good kind of bridge between you know then the brands and these kind of creators actually yeah because they were trying to meet each other and then there were so many yeah dms yeah yeah creators were always like trying to look for like oh i want to work with the brand how do we do this and yeah 
And then the brands were also looking for these creators, but it's like so many of them. So, you know, finding the right ones is very difficult. And then sometimes you want to hire like 100 micro-influencers and yeah. there's a lot of work actually, right? Yeah, so we got this idea. Okay, so, you know, we are, yeah, that's, yeah, what we started thinking. So how do we, you know, become a bridge between these two groups? And then, yeah, we yeah started developing the idea of picking for creators. Yeah, so that's how we actually started this actually, yeah. Okay, so how does the this picky for creators work specifically? Like, what do if I'm a brand, what do I do? Yeah, so our tagline is actually like uh, hire high quality content creators for your brand instantly. So basically, we picky for creators enables your brand to hire content creators at scale. So this is the main point. Like, don't waste time sending them messages, like trying to talk to them. And it's like, yeah, all over the place. So it's very streamlined. You join the as a brand, you open a campaign, you charge credits, we call it credits, and it's by credit card. And then, yeah, you open a campaign and then instantly hundreds of creators will apply for your campaign. Mm -hmm. So it's very fast and um, yeah, it's very like simple. Mm -hmm. So that's our, like the main, yeah. Um, catch so a um, lot of the brands are doing like various type of actually campaigns so we call it campaigns so um, some brands have been working with us doing tiktok challenges so tiktok challenge is popular but most tiktok challenges would fail because there's no traction so some of our partners they make sure that they hire some creators who would participate in the challenge like guaranteed actually so that's one of the use cases some actually uh, brands worked with us. They had to do this like a Black Friday campaign. Mm -hmm. And then what do you want to do for a Black Friday campaign? These days you want to have actual people, um, you know, video, like uh, video ad actually holding your product and then showcasing your product. So you need to hire like, yeah, micro influencers or creators actually. That's your best way. So yeah, um, one of our brands, they work with five creators and then made like a uh, advertisement for uh, Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the, yeah, the, another also good thing is like this only takes like, so you open a campaign and within like two weeks, everything is done. You get the video. Yeah. And um, yeah, we do all the talking and stuff. So yeah. But how do you like manage your network of content creators? Because maybe sometimes you tell them to promote and if they don't do it, then how can you like deal with that? Yeah, so I think that's the, again, I think that's the thing, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, how I think this risk is real. As a brand, you commission someone to do the job and then there's a big chance that they wouldn't do it actually. Mm -hmm. And this happens all the time. So I think um, that's our advantage as a platform. Like, of course, we also have the same risk, but as a platform, we take those risks and then we have our internal, like, you know, this sort of like management system. So we know who's actually more reliable because we work with them. And then also the first time creators, we're always cautious. And then like, uh, you know, we make sure that, you know, they are vetted, they are not like, uh, you know, fake account. 
they are actually we also make sure they have the right address <laughs> yeah a lot of the shipping issues when you send a product to actual like creator mm. yeah for example spain you cannot send like a cosmetic product oh, yeah okay. the customs will not yeah yeah take it so yeah so we know we know this so we wouldn't accept like a spanish creator doing a cosmetic campaign actually but how about spanish like spanish speaker but in korea in the yeah that's fine oh. yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah but the brand doesn't have this kind of knowledge so yeah. they'll make mistakes and then um the marketing person is in trouble because oh i just yeah signed like 10 spanish creators mm -hmm. and stuff yeah and maybe thinking on the eyes of the brand mm. for example if i'm a brand i want to be sure who is promoting my products yeah it's uh, i have some criteria that i want that person to fulfill right, right. do they have a way to filter who is going to yeah. promote it of course and how does it work so it's more like uh I, i would say it's like hiring sort of platform in a way that when you open a campaign you can specify what you want so i want let's say uh tiktok creator it needs to be tiktok right mm -hmm um you say like who country right in us canada only i want and then um i want this creator needs to be age i don't know like only like over 35 something yeah and then uh female male we can yeah let uh choose and also we also you know have the we're also connected uh we use like the api from tiktok and also instagram so We display the follower count, engagement count, and also TikTok likes and those more information. We call it Creator Insights. So the you brands... You put this feature really soon, right? Because yeah, yeah. LinkedIn was like... Yes, oh, or something. yes, yes. So and I think that's such an upgrade. Yeah. I mean, that I think that's very important for like, we're, you know, <laughs> being a tech company. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're supposed to yeah keep improving your product and that's how the... Yeah, what our engineering team wants to do, and then we're really trying to be the best. I mean, globally in this like specific, yeah, product actually. Yeah, and this thing of being able to see the statistics of the engagement of the of the influencers is great, but that's like a general view of their account. Yes. Do you think you will reach a point in which you can measure exactly the reach, like the engagement of each promotion? Hmm. Do you think that's something I, feasible? That's really dependent on like technically the platforms. If they provide it through the you know their third-party API, I think it's possible. But we can extract as much as they share. Um, but however, we look at this as more less of a performance marketing, but more of a brand marketing in a way that I think getting the content out of it is more important rather than you know like you measure like sales performance and stuff because um, I think yeah that's the tricky part of like you know influencer or creator marketing you know because that um i mean it's not as straightforward as like yeah like facebook ad like in terms of data analytics and stuff but also i think that's the beauty of it that um right now the currently the tiktok is becoming like a new platform and then tiktok um advertising product is not as robust as like google or like meta like facebook But then gives a lot of opportunity for the brands who are savvy into in the you know this kind of creative marketing. But then with working with influencer, the goal should be how do you make the content viral rather than trying to make it more like programmatic, clearly like successful. Because one once the content was viral, every like uh, goal would be met actually. You know, 
-hmm. Yeah, it's very hard to let's say the content is just blow off and then you get like uh, you know hundred thousand view, and you pay like hundred dollar for the content. Probably the ROI is like super positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if you have this already in your platform or not, but do you have any kind of ranking for your content creators so you know who has more reach i mean i guess yes because you have all their engagement rates yeah but uh so far they just get the product for free or they also get paid something they get paid actually and then they get product for free and some there are some campaigns who doesn't involve who it doesn't involve product then it's just uh you know getting paid um and does it that does the money come from your company to them or? yeah okay so it comes from us and then also we our model is a little bit different from most competitors because this is how, also how we think is that um, that's why we only focus on small creators because it's really hard to define okay so this person is 200,000 followers this person has 100,000 followers doesn't mean the 200,000 followers yeah should cost double right yep. it really depends and then i think the what's hard to measure is the quality element because same creator this person, this campaign, they did a good job because they were really engaged. Well, the other campaign, they just didn't care. So they did a poor job. And this is what drives like the, the brands really crazy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, but a lot of cases, like if it's like the fixed amount, like, um, yeah, model and then creators, they have their own rate cards. So it's just very messy, actually. So we have a flat rate for the um like the brands so right now our rate is like one uh either $100 or $200 for a creator yeah including all the copyright there's no other like extra fees anything and um we might add like a more yeah extra like credits so we call it credits so but right now it's just one or two and also for us we compensate our creators um uh, there's a like base fee but there's more sort of like extra um, reward based on their achievement. So for That's example, nice. uh, we when there's a really great result, we actually reward the creator with our fund. Your funds, yes. Yeah, so that's baked into our sort of margin and stuff. So because I think in this model, um, as a platform, I think we need to really incentivize the creators to work hard on the creative. And that would actually make everyone successful because let's say the micro influencer um, scores like 1 million view on TikTok, which is possible, you know, mm -hmm. yep. it is possible actually on TikTok. And let's say it was a branded content from a certain brand. Brand paid like, let's say $100, $200 for a million view content. They should be very happy, right? Creator. No. he's really happy no creator is happy come on like you're a small creator and then you got like two million views out of your content then your like a follower account will increase and then yeah then they are happy actually we are happy too actually because uh, our clients are happy branded happy like so i think that's what we're trying to um sort of enable so i don't think we still don't have like i cannot say like this is how it works exactly but um that is definitely what we're aiming and then we think that's really like um sort of the winning model for uh micro influencer or creator yeah, yeah marketing and how are your economics is it uh, are you going more for for growth 
without taking into account the profitability? Are you a profitable company? Yeah. So that's a great question because now everything is about profit profitability, right? And now yes, in these COVID times. Uh, yeah. So I don't I don't have to say oh we're aiming for 10x growth actually. <laughs> so we grew 3x uh, in 2021. So I'm, I'm sorry, 2022. Sorry, you said that you got a pre-seed. Then you got another round or just the pre-seed investment? That was like the pre yeah. Uh, it's more like a seed or pre-seed. Now, yeah, it's kind of tricky, but 1.3 million was, it's, yeah, decent amount actually. So, um, yeah, last year um, it was challenging because our community like growth was kind of stagnant, but um, we managed to release the pick of creators in the summer. And then so as a whole year, we grew 3x from last year. I think which is great. That's right. And we are have been almost profitable, almost break even. So yeah, we're financially fine actually. But um uh we will intentionally or not intentionally, but yeah, we want to, you know, build a better product. So we need to invest in our product so it's gonna increase the cost a little bit, I think, in next year. But also, I mean, um, our model itself, yeah, we can manage um, to be like profitable in the long run, but um, we would actually, yeah, if we can accelerate the growth, we are not like, um, yeah, how can I say like, uh, we're not afraid of uh, like investing in like growth actually, yeah. And you're sure that uh, if you grow, then you will be able to manage and get profitable yeah. profits in- Right, right, in right. I think the, um, this is what I think about, you know, um, my, my higher level view is that uh, social media is really like a, a thing, right? As a media. So advertising follows media, actually. Mm -hmm. So my first job at Google um, was actually, I was in charge of um, Google product called Google AdSense. Google AdSense is actually how the bloggers, they could actually put a banner in your blog and you could actually make um, some money. So some people make like $10 a month, some people make $100 a month, and then Google shares their you know, advertisement to these kind of publishers, yeah. And um, I think, you know, at that time, blog was a thing. It was the web. Now we're not anymore. Yeah, and there's uh, all this uh, web traffic, I think a lot of them ended up in, I think, uh, social media. And social media, again, like there was like Facebook and then there was Instagram. But I mean, there's also Web3 and stuff, but I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. But I think from just a content perspective, instead of the text and image was the thing about 2010 and yeah, early 21st century. I think the now the short form video is really, really like the big deal, I think. So and that's why I think the you know um, short form video like TikTok traffic is keep increasing and then also you know YouTube and um, uh, the Instagram is also moving on to Reels and YouTube Shorts right. But I think for those traffic, those media, there's not a good way to monetize that traffic because if you're a blogger, you could put a banner, hmm. but if you're like uh, yeah, you're same right. You have like you create like an interesting TikTok and you have like 50,000 followers. Like, what are you going to do? Do you earn money? Not really, actually. And I think that's our vision that we want to be, you know, a platform for these people to maybe not, you know, like a fortune, but 
yeah, hundred dollars, one dollars. That is actually you can monetize your content actually. And then I think uh, from history, I think it's going to come from brands because brands will always look for this kind of exposure, new eyeballs. Yeah, that can your brands can be exposed. And then now just, uh, yeah, it's not banners anymore. I think it's actually like this creator content from like mostly short form video, I think. Yeah. yeah. And as you were mentioning at the beginning, I guess it's because of the, the, like the Instagram that you had and the community, mainly all the users that you get are organically. But I also, for sure, you have some marketing, like your, your pain, no? Like, what's your CAG and how is your oh. market, like user acquisition? So for picking for creators, we we're pretty lucky because um, because we had this big beauty community. So, I mean, we just um, had a, like, a, you know, pre-launch, like, sign-up page. And then 3,000 creators signed up, like, instantly. Oof. That, yeah, that must feel amazing. Right? Yeah, so I think that was our biggest advantage. I mean, we thought about okay, so this is like fresh new startup. Getting the creators on board must be very difficult, actually. So yeah, we kind of succeeded on the beauty creator space because we are like kind of. I mean, we're not like nobody. Like thankfully, <laughs> yeah. So that got us, yeah, like uh, yeah, start pretty quickly actually, because we started developing this product from august actually so it's been only four months mm -hmm. yeah um and then but we're we haven't really started acquiring new creators but we will actually in 2023 so i guess it's gonna be focusing on instagram and tiktok probably yeah and then also we are working with our own creators to promote picky for creators too we as advertiser yeah. because yeah, it's called like dog footing. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, we if we believe like we're a good way to market, like we should use it ourselves, right? So we, our creators talk about picky for creators and then they promote us. It's a good way to, yeah, yeah, work with brands and then also, you know, um, get paid for your content. I think that's what we do, actually. And what's your vision for the future? Like coming back to your first dream or making this like, big startup or at least global startup mm -hmm. in how many countries are you right now and what's your roadmap for the next years so right now i mean picky has been always like a global audience so we have users from all around the world it's just in english we haven't really localized in other languages but you know just english product it covers like the most of the markets so um i think that's already kind of achieved but then the next, sorry, the next biggest market in terms of language, I guess it's Jap Japanese. Japanese, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, because it's different, yeah. Technically, yeah, in a user perspective, of course, it's Spanish. But I think what's interesting is like, um, I mean, yeah, Spanish creators could be big, but also they, uh, we were looking more at the brand perspective, um, like Japan or China, like with English, like you have like zero business right whereas i think actually maybe spain is right actually <laughs> sorry maybe yeah maybe you're right actually about spain but japan um has been um we were eyeing on them because um still a lot of our business is working with beauty industry and then um uh, a lot of korean brands wants to market in japan and then that's been like constant request like when is picky opening in japan yeah. but we weren't really sure whether we could open up the community in japan that's like so much another yeah like i don't we weren't really confident but 
actually with the creators, I think we could actually do this in Japan. So that's what we're thinking. Um, but then before the, the creator side, we want to work with like, uh, we pretty much only have been successful. I would say 80 to 90% of our business has been working with Korean brands because we're just based here. We're, you know, easy to work with them. They feel comfortable working with us, but, um, we want to work with like a U.S. brand or, you know, as more like a SaaS company, um, the brands theoretically, they can just sign up themselves and they can join. Right. So um, I think our biggest milestone next year is that we need to prove uh, we can actually have like a B2B, like a customer from overseas, actually, not just from Korea. I think that's a big milestone. Actually. Yeah. Also for that, I guess you need to storage, like you need like a place for shipments and everything now. Because if you are you are doing the shipment or is no it, actually ah, the company yeah, yeah yeah oh, okay, yeah yeah okay. we provide the oh like that's the, much better that's much yeah better. software so yeah we don't do the shipment actually yeah 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 that's great and are you looking for any other in round of investment or not yet um not I don't think yeah that's the priority we do we do have a um, bit of cash mm -hmm. yeah we because we were you know very frugal this year. But I think, yeah, the priority is to, you know, like growing at a, yeah, decent pace. And then I think, yeah, that should be like, we need to prove more like product market fit, actually. Yeah, that's actually like, you know, we're able to keep growing, actually. So I think that's very important. Yeah, we need to probably polish the market. I mean, the model. So, um, I mean, the influencer marketing is not a new, completely new industry. There are like players, there are more like bigger players, but I think what's interesting for us is one is the, you know, TikTok and short form video. And then second is the, like also the focusing on micro influencers and the smaller ones. I think more traditionally there were companies with connecting like bigger influencer. And then it was more focused on the, you know, Instagram and YouTube actually. So, but I, we think that it's a little bit different with now TikTok and micro influencers. So that's, we think that's our biggest sort of leverage and focus actually. Mm -hmm. And you were mentioning at the beginning that since the beginning of the company, you have this global vision. And because of that, your team is mainly international. Right. You are an English speaking team. Yeah. And how is that? Because I've heard many opinions from founders here and companies that hiring international people is not that easy here in Korea. And then I was really surprised when I was, when I saw that you have, I think, seven nationalities out yeah. of 13 employees, yeah, maybe. Yeah. How is that? How did you manage to hire these people? How are these people com comfortable here? Is there like a working differences that disturb them or how is it? Um, well, Let's go. If, if they're comfortable, we have to ask them actually, like, honestly, how they think. I hope so. But I think... Yeah, is that well? This is the thing, actually. So, um, do you want to work for a company that you cannot communicate hundred percent with your CEO? Yeah, that's very, yeah, very obvious, right? I, I think though, yeah, if the management you cannot talk to them like completely, is I mean, the people you want to join a startup. The reason is that it's a small team. You need to be able to really communicate with them well but then yeah if you're joining a team with six koreans they all speak in korean and then you're the seventh person yeah 
that's that's I think very simple. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's very rare to operate the team completely in English, which is that is a challenge. Yeah, because most companies in Korea, you start with Korean people. Yeah. Yeah, because especially your model, like when you have you're contacting the brands, yeah. who is contacting the brands? Is it Korean? Yeah. So I'm doing, and then we have our team right now, twelve people, including like you know part time or like interns. But yeah, only three Koreans and nine foreigners. Yeah. And how is it divided? How many are in sales, marketing? Yeah, so three Koreans are in sales, including me. We're doing like sales and pretty much sales and yeah, business development, that kind of role. Yeah, which working with Korean brands and the rest of the team, our product team is completely like uh, non-Korean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't think like, yeah, like it doesn't have to be Korean, right? Yeah. Developing the product. And um, yeah, so that's, one thing I actually think is the Korean founders need to, I mean, be comfortable working English because, um, yeah, I have a personal story that, so, you know, I spent time in Silicon Valley and then I joined my previous company and then we actually brought some in, like, yeah, American developer to the team. And then, I mean, he really wanted to work in Korea, but it, there was a struggle, like both sides. He was the only guy in the entire engineering team who doesn't speak Korean, even though he was very eager, it was difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then the developer, the rest of the team felt difficult because it's so much work to communicate, right? Um, so I was thinking at that time, like, okay, so maybe, yeah, it's just really hard to do this in Korea because, I mean, what are the chances? Like, unless you're like, you met Shuttle, like a Shuttle is like, that they're not the Korean founders, actually. Mm -hmm. Unless it's that, it's maybe difficult. Mm -hmm. But then um, I worked at Supercell, right? Which is like Finnish companies from Finland. And then the company was um, founded by six co-founders, all from Finland. Yeah. And then I discovered later on, um, half of them haven't even been to U.S. before founding the company. And they become the, you know, world's biggest like, mobile game company in the world. But then there are six Finnish. And then, of course, like you guys, they're much more fluent in Finnish. Mm -hmm. They speak Finnish among themselves. But the company was always running English, actually. Any official meeting, all the documents, actually. Yeah. So I think it's possible, right? It's just, you're just not used to it. But if you're really wanting to do global team, global business, yeah, it's necessary. Mm -hmm. So what happened in Supercell, they started with six founders in Finnish. But when there were like 30 people, 15 nationalities, or like, yeah, something like that, because, um, yeah, always a Korean journalist asks this question, like, how, how did you do this global business? And, yeah, you need a global team. Yeah. yeah how can you do that? Like, hire them. Like, <laughs> yeah, wh why, why not? Why, why is it so hard? Like, we did it in Finland. Like, yeah, why can you do it in Korea, actually? Why can you do it in Spain? Like, and is it difficult to hire international people here? So, so my answer is no, actually. <laughs> yeah, my answer is no. How, is it, how are the channels to hire them? Well, there is, like, visa and stuff, but I think every country there is the same issue you know us i think yeah it's a visa sponsorship is very difficult maybe you know i want to get a job in spain probably it's difficult yeah i guess so yeah mm. so i don't think that challenge is same in every country so i kind of i know there's all this criticism of government all this stuff but i think well i i wouldn't say it's easy but those kind of administrative challenges is same in every country because that's how the government work actually. No, and, and yeah, your company yeah. is an example that is 
So yeah, it's possible. It's yeah, possible. yeah, 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 yeah. You just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, and I think it's mostly coming from if you run a company in Korean, of course, like the talented, yeah, people who doesn't speak Korean won't, wouldn't want to join. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and is there for for your teammates or employees or mm -hmm. however you want to call it? Is there something that is really difficult for them to live here or to work here? Or is it frustrating for them not to be able to communicate maybe mm. with other? So I think the, if you're really like from abroad, like fresh, so we have a couple of team members who just really like joined us from, because of this job actually. Mm -hmm. That's hard because you just fly in and then try to settle down. Everything is difficult, right? You don't even have the registration card, like all the stuff. So we actually uh, provide um, like uh, housing in the beginning. And then, I mean, yeah. So that's, I guess, that's... kind of like a benefit, but yeah, the, yeah, that's more practical. So, and then we also help arrange like visa agency because in Korea, like visa by do it yourself is possible, but it's just so much work. So yeah, we have uh, a guy we work with, yeah. And then um, what else actually? Like, yeah, and we have kind of a couple of team members who's like the experts in this kind of, these kind of banking, all these kind of issues. Yeah, they've been in Korea for like six, seven years. And then, I mean, I don't know about many of these because I mean, as a Korean, it's very easy <laughs> for everything. So yeah, so that's what we do. And then I think, that's quite a big benefit, actually. Like, if you're the only one, again, like, it's very difficult. I think. Well, I hope that we will be able to have another session with together with your teammates. Yeah, it yeah. will be amazing. Like, so many insights that they could give us. Yeah. But so far, I really love this interview, and thank you so much. Now you have a meeting soon, so we have to stop here. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, and see yeah, you it's soon. a pleasure. I hope uh, we can share our progress in the next few of months, course. and then we do like uh, next. Follow. Yeah, Piki 2.0. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That'll be awesome. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to keep updated on the Korea startup ecosystem, don't forget to follow us. And if you are an entrepreneur who has something to share with the community, please send us a message to contact at koreastartupguide.com. We will be more than happy to talk to you. See you next week.